hello everyone. We are welcome to the Lawcast. Uh, we are doing this from different locations, as you can see today. This yes. is uh... <laughs> yes. Uh, you can see coming from uh, my dining room at the moment, my table. Have a white background here. You've got white walls, I assume. Yes. Yes. Very white walls. Uh, I haven't quite gotten to sort of setting up my background. You know how you see some people have got like a nice bookshelf and maybe a pot plant <laughs> and, you know, it looks very kind of professional and awfully like um, like a talk show, right? like a talk show kind of set up. Yes. Um, I haven't quite gotten around to that. No, no. We can always uh, make a giant poster of something and just kind of like like yes. you're out, out at the beach perhaps. Well, I mean, I, I, you'd always actually be in the beach. <laughs> I mean, I could, you could always... You know, I could be on my, my balcony. I can see that you're in the in the backyard. That, I can see. That, I, I'm, I'm in my backyard. I'm not sure anyone can see, but perhaps you can. The little, just there, you can see my beehives. Ah, yes, there. yes. got dog toy on at the moment, but I've got native Australians. And yes, so that's, uh, I don't that know if you can. <laughs> one of the delights of working from home and everyone being remote is you just get to see a little bit more about people's lives than you would ordinarily get to see. Just a little, um, bit, a little bit. And, uh, you know, you've seen plenty of those of clips of uh, some of the states of people's back backgrounds. You know, some of the <laughs> people's apartments are a little less, <laughs> let's just say, a reflection of their tidiness. That's very true. It's uh, the reason why I haven't done this inside today is because the room where I do my work is actually empty. Like the wardrobe is <laughs> empty. Uh, it's there's nothing on the walls. There's like it's it's just an empty room. So I, I figured that uh, if we if I do it outside, uh, it might be a little bit a little bit more entertaining. I, I uh, can see that you went with the asylum look. You know the uh, everything is blank and no, no stimulation whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful environment to work in. Um, I also have very large, these these, these slidey wardrobes have, have mirrors on them. So it's it's just, I have to open the wardrobe in order not to have a thousand knees. <laughs> uh, uh, having a look at the back of your head. Well, it, yes. I suppose it kind of leads well into what I want to talk about. I suppose our first topic, which mm. is, I was reading an article uh, from the BBC this week. Right. And uh, it was talking about that Google has come out um, and given an announcement that they are encouraging people to work um, in the office rather than working from home. And they cite the usual sort of, you know, sort of reason they want, they think it's better for productivity. They also think it's better for mental health and, and things mm. like that. And it's probably a bit of that. And there's a bit of kind of control element to it, being mm. able to control stuff. Uh, but they've come out and also said that they are, if you would like to work from home, that's fine, but uh, we will pay you accordingly. And they've looked to decrease people's wages if they are working from home in areas which are lower expenses. So, for example, you live rurally, your expenses are far lower uh, compared to, to Silicon Valley, which is where they're located. Um, right. uh, and so when I, you know, they sort of interviewed a few people that are uh, anonymous uh, Google employees, but I mean, look into that as you wish. But um, some of them were sort of 20 percent. Most of them looked like they're about sort of 10% drops in their um, in their salaries. Um, and presumably they, that. 
comfortable with the drop in this salary? Well, this particular article was very weighted to say that that was a negative aspect. Now, obviously, they can pick and choose who they who they decide to put in the article because some people that may have that may be fine. Yeah, yeah, um, I'll take. I'll take a pay cut in order to not have to travel and work from home. That's I'm, I'm you know, there, there would be people out there who are quite comfortable with that, I'd say. Mm. Look, it sort of raises an interesting point, I think, which when it comes to how you set people's pay, which mm. um, they spoke about that they've always based people's pay off the local market. So the local market being within Silicon Valley. Um, <laughs> I call bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, a part of it that, feels awfully cost-saving, but I kind of get where they're coming from. Well, look, I mean, the, the same goes for a lot of large companies. The big four, mm. they pay people in accordance to where they're living. It's, 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 I'm not sure it is, but they reckon it's cheaper to live in Brisbane than it is in Sydney. Therefore, mm. uh, salaries for the same job are higher in Sydney than they are in Brisbane. Uh, honestly, I think it doesn't matter. People, uh, it's just... Uh, I don't know. I mean, doesn't it lend itself to the, to the sorry, I've just moved everything, the, the thin end of the wedge? Because if you do that, then why why do we care where people live if we employ them, for instance? Mm. Are we going to start employing people because they are geographically closer to the office? Are we, do you know, where's, where's the end game here? Probably my- you're doing a job, it's worth X. It doesn't matter where you are. I see it as, as, as a bit different. I see it like almost supply and demand, but with, with people and talent generally. Um, so if you want to have Joe, Joe Bloggs, he's a very talented uh, software designer. Um, and if you want him to work for you rather than the competitor, then you know, supply and demand will mean that you pay him an X amount of money to retain him or to keep him or to employ him. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of as simple as that. If it's uh, if he's able to work um, remotely, then he's also just competing with other people that are paying him remotely. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Uh, so we're we're essentially talking about. I guess that people want to pay less for people who are working from home. There's less travel. There's less. Um, you know, there could be less distractions. I don't know. I, I kind of think that. I don't know how I feel about this. Let's let's take a personal view. Mm. If if you got to work from home, would you take a pay cut? I mean, setting aside that I'm your boss and you should really be saying, no, I'd rather work at work. I mean, for, what for the purpose of that experiment, do I, let's say I live in the Sunshine Coast, so sort of an hour or, you know, I wanted to live in the Sunshine Coast and I said to you, um, uh, you know, I don't really want to commute, I want to work from home every day um, so I can live over there, then I might do because I also know that my rent or my mortgage is going to be less. Well, I get that, that, that but that's a flexible working arrangement. Melanie, yeah. I've decided that I want to move to the Sunshine Coast for, oh, sorry, that's my cat walking <laughs> I, I want to move to the Sunshine Coast for, um, you know, for Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. I'll come into work on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. 
and I go, mm, okay, but this is a huge inconvenience to me. This is a flexible working arrangement. I think we should. Hang on, the cat's got something weird on its face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, let's talk about what that looks like in reality. But that's that's not the same as saying to people, okay, well, if you want to work from home, you're getting a pay cut. Or is it? Is I it a fixed it, working arrangement? I think, I think it can be, I mean, putting aside, you know, let's just say that we're in negotiations and we're going to, whatever kind of arrangement is agreed, um, I think it's fine to put it in the same the same discussion. Yeah, I, I don't see anything Do wrong with I mean? asking people, well, if you want to work from home, I want to pay you less. I, I don't see anything wrong with having that discussion, but what if, where does it go from there? So let's say, let's say it doesn't work. You're working from home. It's mm. just not working. You know, the employer wants you back at the office. Who's got the power to say, I want you to come back? Who's got the power to say no? Well, it's it could probably just bring you back, and then the the problem is your pay is you know are you gonna, is the pay going to go back up? Well, this is um, it. You've made the deal. It's a new contract. Mm. It's do we do we? I mean, I guess the sensible thing to do is to call the fixable working arrangement, give it a time frame, get get things that stop and go, is this a stop-go moment? Do we, do we want you back? Mm. Do we not want you back? We're going to terminate it. We're not going to terminate it. I, look, I understand all of that, but I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the idea of it being a pay cut because it's cheaper to live where that person is than it is for something else. For me, either the person's mm. at work or they're at home. I don't care where they are. You know, If they're at work, they're at work. If they're at home, they can live four hours away. I don't care as long as they get to work on time and they do the work and they leave. Oh, That's it's... true. That's true. I think it just, I suppose it just comes down to how you, how you see it and um, sort of the whole thing goes to whether it is advantageous, whether it's, it's people want to continue working there and it kind of goes to it. It goes to, you know, it's the same sort of stuff as providing uh, you know, non-monetary benefits to a job, you know, all those, you know, a gym membership, it, it's incentives yeah. to work there. And, you know, if, if I think it can go both ways, I think it really can be something that if it may work for all parties involved, which is, well, you know, okay. I, I can work, you know, if, if I can work completely remotely, it means I can live in somewhere which is potentially more desirable to me. And it may be that I'm actually getting more money in, in my pocket. Even is and the trigger, it, you know, it is the trigger though, the living away, living working from home, it's cheaper place to live. Is the trigger for the pay cut because you're living somewhere cheaper? Or is the trigger for the pay cut that you're not working from work? Because there are two knock on effects here. Mm. I'm not sure work to care about where the employee lives. I just don't think that should mm. be, you know, if, if you employ them, you suck it up. Everyone sucks it up for whatever reason. But if you're giving them, uh, if, if there are other benefits involved, like, yeah, travel time, so on and so forth, or you, you don't have to have a supplier desk for that person, therefore the next place you rent needs, doesn't have to be as big, 
therefore it's cheaper. You know, all this sort of, I just wonder where the where the swings and roundabouts are on this point. I actually don't think people should care where people live. If you want to work from home, and the deal is if you do that, you get a pay cut. Who the hell cares whether they live in CBD of Sydney or they live in Dubbo? I'm not sure it should matter. Well, I mean, it's all interesting. One of the kind of just generally, I think, beneficial aspect of all of this and coming out of all of the aspects of, mm. of the of the ongoing crisis, which is what I'm calling it <laughs> which from is, now. Which so, is the reason why so, we're in different places today. Yes, the ongoing crisis is our way of making sure we don't get, oh, sorry, I just said it, our block, you know. <laughs> yeah, we get kings for no reason. Yep. internet gods. Um, is I think that it's encouraged more constructive conversations and a more individual basis for employment rather than broad strokes, um, a more kind of productive thought about how um, employment can be and, and a bit more flexible about the way someone can work. Um, how long that lasts is, is you know, up for debate. But yeah. these types of conversations, I think, are, if nothing else, you know, even if an employee and an employer weren't mm. able to come to an agreement like that, the fact mm. that they're having the conversation I think is a positive thing. Well, it's certainly a new thing, isn't it? Because I do know that, um, like for us, for instance, we work a four-day mm. week. Mm. Uh, today is a Friday, which means that we're working today. But normally, we 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 get some we get it some downtime. Sort of an easier day, yeah. Yeah, we get some downtime on a Friday. Um, and at the moment, for those of you who don't know, the ongoing crisis has caused. Uh, a little bit of a, a mix about at work. So I'm working two days at home and you're working two days at home and we're kind of yes. doing a swap these. Uh, but I do know that there are other law firms that absolutely prohibit working from home because when they mm-hmm. when people did, no one did any work. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've actually spoken about this before, but I'm aware of issues where uh, people were manufacturing um, billable hours uh, because there's, there's not that much way you can monitor it until invoicing comes along, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's just a lot harder, especially if you have, if you have a very junior, I think, um, workforce mm. who need that kind of ongoing mentoring and, and supervision. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not certain how you do that remotely. Yeah, when mentoring and supervision, I, I find really challenging on mm. remotely. Uh, I'm a hands-on type of girl and... I, I like being hands-on, but I know that's not that's not for everyone, but I do find that a real challenge. I'm going to change the subject. I yes, found out something last night that I found absolutely, like, it blew my mind. I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is amazing. So I was doing a little bit of couch surfing on my computer, yes. and I found out that one could purchase Eka ice creams from a company. Now, I thought this was, this was really interesting because for, for those viewers who don't know, uh, last week was uh, what we call ECA week in Brisbane. ECA is essentially a city-based country show where they bring cows in and they do dog shows and you can poke a chicken and you can feed a cow and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, yeah. and they've got wood chopping and there's just, it's actually the country just comes to town. Yeah, the country, country comes, comes to town. Country comes to town. And 
at the Eka every year, they've got these Eka ice creams. And the Eka ice cream is based on an ice cream cone with a little bit of ice cream at the bottom, um, strawberries in the middle, ice cream at the top, cream and strawberries. Now, I know this because I found out all about this last night. Um, yeah, I could. I, what I did is I jumped online and I found out there was this company that was selling boxes of Eka ice cream packs. Now I'm doing. This is not a plug for it. This is this. I'm I'm segueing into something else. So you could buy twenty. You could buy enough to make twenty Eka ice creams in wow. the container thing. Yeah, which is it a wasn't. It's was <laughs> not an insignificant amount. <laughs> twenty <laughs> ice much. creams. You, when there's <laughs> only two people living in my house. <laughs> it's like it's it's, it's, yeah. it's every day for for ten yeah. days. That's right, and I'm not sure the stories are going to last. But anyway, so we so I ordered it online, and I can pick it up any time before eight o'clock last night. And we turned up at this warehouse-like environment in a suburb in Brisbane called Cooparoo, which just happens to be super close to where I live. Mm. And what what it's a giant warehouse, but when you go up the stairs, there's this tiny room where they've got this big um, uh, print a big display and it'll have a person's name and what box they're meant to get their bag of Uber Eats or Hoodoo or whatever, you know, all those, mm. you know how they've got all those Uber, you know, all those different um, drive, pick up your food and drive companies. Mm. This organisation had created a bunch of, I don't know what you call them, um, it, like a virtual kitchen inside this giant warehouse where you could rent a kitchen, build your food, put it on the, the app and have someone choose it and have a driver come, find their name in there, pop it, take it out of the little cubby hole and then drive so, away with it. So they are, all they do is delivery. Like it, it's, it's. The, the, the little front counterpart that I mm. went to was only for delivery people people who are coming to pick up stuff because there was a bunch of pigeonholes and there's yeah. a big screen and your name, pigeonhole, off you went. Yeah. But behind the scenes was a bunch of virtual kitchens. Or You know how you go to virtual offices and you've got those mm. little offices and you might be one little three-meter square space with one little desk? Yes. Inside this space had all these kitchens. Wow, that's and a really good business idea. You can rent a kitchen. You can rent a space. It's literally rent an office. Rent an Just, office or a kitchen for the purposes of putting it on one of these food apps. I was like, through my mind. I wonder if that's almost the, the future. If if uh, the okay. days of of dining are gone, you know, oh, are we are we just going to be? For those of us who want to sell our food. To get it out there into the mm. market, your cupcakes or your burgers or your, I don't know, <laughs> you can just rent your kitchen, bring your food for the night, pop it onto the app and hope someone buys it. And you can, <laughs> you can be in the game for as little or as long as you want to be. Yeah. You know, you can make a name for yourself over the space of a month and sort of dip your toes and see whether people like your product or not. Just imagine when uh, the next, you know, big chef comes along and they'll just do something for a week and it'll be almost impossible to get your hands on whatever they're making, whether it be a pasta dish or, you know, a croissant or something. I, I can 
only think that's happening already and we're just not in with the in crowd getting it. Maybe, maybe. Although, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's really interesting how, you, how we've seen restaurants or eating places change probably in the last sort of two, three years where big restaurants aren't necessarily a thing anymore. It's, it's usually quite small and some of them almost exclusively survive off, off their delivering service. Yeah, this is this is this is something quite incredible. Like when we think about, say, the Chinese restaurant, mm. Chinese takeaway. The Chinese takeaway has never really been a place to sit down and eat. It's been a place to sit down to take your to sit around while you can get your stuff and <laughs> yeah. off. There's nothing stopping that Chinese restaurant no longer having a premises and just doing this takeaway stuff because I just think this. <laughs> Totally blew my mind as a concept. So I got really, I kind of got really excited and thought about this last night. And I was like, so how does, how does one do this? I guess you would have to have like a massive marketing campaign to, to pick it off it somehow. Because, yeah, you need people to know about it. Yeah, because when we look at these apps, I don't know about you, but when I when I find a restaurant that has like three things on its menu, I go, mm, who's the next guy? You know what yeah, I mean? I like choice. I like a bit of yeah, choice. Yeah, I actually really like choice. So the ones that are just selling like three different types of burgers, two mocha mm. and fries, for instance. Um, yeah, I just I just wonder how, without a decent marketing campaign, people are going to go, oh, I totally want that. I was, um, where I live, there's a new restaurant that opened up a few months ago called the Lonely Heart Burger Club or something like that. Yeah. Now, they really actually only sell one type of burger. They only sell mm. chips, basically, and they sell drinks out of a fridge or milkshakes. They really actually only have three things on their menu. Yeah, it's it, they must do it very well if, if they want to survive. Well, I'm certainly not going to comment because I don't want to plug or unplug or whatever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and I just thought someone like the Lonely Hearts Burger Club probably would be perfect for this model because they're only mm. self, they've already got a name for themselves. Premises are expensive and you need more staff for premises. And... Yeah. All you need to do is have a kitchen where you make burgers and get someone else to deliver them. Easy peasy lemon squeezing. I mean, it's not probably, I mean, put that together with, with what we were speaking about before about working from home, it's not a great time to be in commercial leasing. I wouldn't have thought. Well, it isn't. You know, because <laughs> really? it's more reason why you don't need that, you know, premises that's right on the main road on the corner with the big, um, you know, right, Alfresco windows, you know all that, that. Uh, no one's doing that anymore no because you just don't need it you you can you know be on a back street or as you said in in a warehouse in a warehouse I just that totally blew my mind so I so anybody who's listening or, or watching this today I would love to hear your opinions on whether you've heard about this whether you've seen it work whether you know someone who's doing it mm. this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Well, maybe not the coolest thing I've ever heard, but you know what? <laughs> it's close enough. It's, it's a pretty um, good business model. The big question is, how was the ice cream? Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. We made them last night. We made one each last night. I didn't go ice cream crazy. Uh, well, you've yeah, got plenty we... to go. <laughs> got plenty more cracks at it. <laughs> a lot of, got a lot of giving it a go, yeah. Um, but I'm not the sort of person, like... 
you, you know, I ate one. I thought, oh, I could tell you another one. But, you know, I'm not the sort of person to sit there and just eat another one and then another one and then another no, one. Will... There's a diminishing return on how enjoyable that would be. But I suppose confession time, I have never been to the ECA. Never been to the ECA? Never. I've been so about I've been three here. times in 17 years. Yeah. Never. Yeah, I've never been. I've been here 19 years and never, never been. Never been I mean, to the ECA. For a long time, I didn't really even have an interest in it. I, I don't know what like it was. Walking distance from I the ether. I do. I do. A bit uphill. <laughs> it should be said. A bit uphill. Oh, but, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> there's a slight incline <laughs> on the way there. Um, <laughs> I was planning on going this year, which was a little bit frustrating. The one time I did want to go, you know. Did you, did you buy a ticket? I did not. Is so it? Is it? It's an ad hoc thing. Then you were going to turn yeah. up today. Oh, I figured it was that sort of thing, you know. I look at see what's going on. I actually, I've been to the ECA three times. Um, there are things I absolutely love about the ECA, like you can go and watch the dog shows where people are showing their dogs. This like, is the... Is that the one where they sort of jump over the little obstacles and stuff? No, they just walk around the outside with their suits. Oh, and their... yes. Absolutely so much fun. But there's also a cat show as well. <laughs> is it the exact same, just with cats? It's pretty that... much the same. It is the best thing I have ever seen. And uh, and I, I'm, a, I'm fascinated by the big fluffy chickens as well. Oh, uh, with the, the sort of Yeah, like all the big the thing. poopy, poopy chickens. And uh, I like putting my finger into the cage and waiting for them to try and bite my finger off. Oh, we've lost you. Oh, oh, you're back again. Yes, sorry, yes, I've got so You can pet llamas as well at the ECA, which I'm a big fan mm. of. There's, there's lots of other stuff, ladies and gentlemen, one can do at the ECA. Like there's, there's, a, there's a showground with, with you know, uh, uh, like carny rides and stuff like that. But I've never done the carny rides. How, how does, how does uh, sort of getting full with ice cream, dagwood dogs, and then meat pies. And I wonder how that goes with, you know, <laughs> what's the ride where you, you're sort of stuck on this on the outside as it goes? Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in basically the Vomitron. Is yeah, it yeah. Is that the one where you go into that machine and you, you can, yeah, I, yeah. So that's a, I'm a fan of that ride. Um, I don't know. I've never done the rides because I'm, I'm actually a big fan of all the, the farm animal stuff yeah, that happens. Fair enough. With chopping and all that. So I kind of spend my day doing that. Um, there was a guy in the big arena one year that I was there who was riding a bull, which was quite Ooh. fun to watch. And then there was Ooh. a guy on a – he was on one of those jetpacks and zoomed around on the jetpack. Very cool. Very cool. There's a lot of <laughs> – sounds like it's just – Bit of, bit of fun everywhere around. Well, don't worry. I'm sure it will be back next year. The oh, uh, oh big the call, big crisis, call. The worldwide crisis will uh, will will hopefully come to a short, sharp end once everybody has had the jab, and uh, yeah, and we'll be back to normal. Um, <laughs> well, you know, fingers crossed. I do remember when this all began. I was one of these skeptics and said, oh. They're just saying August just because, you know, they've got to put us on warning, but it's actually just going to be July. <laughs> I was those guys. I was that yeah, guy. Yeah, you're one of those guys. Well, I had, when it first started, 
I had clients who were coming from the regions which were really bad in Asia. Mm. So I shut the office in March with yeah, the proviso. I stopped taking clients in the office in March. And, yeah, it was it was early March before everyone everything shut down mm. because I, I could see the tide coming. But, you know, as an employment lawyer, I think you and I can both agree that we often see things happening before they actually arrive in, in yeah. the public's awareness. So yeah, we I watched that. It was that was a slow, slow tide coming into Australia. Fascinating mm. though, absolutely fascinating. Anyway, anyway, okay. So something else you want to anything on your mind? I haven't. Well, the, the case came up this week, which I thought was a really interesting one. Uh, it was an unfair dismissal, mm. and uh, so what had, what had happened was uh, he worked in a warehouse and he was on the floor. And uh, he took a phone call and he sort of took the phone call and then realised, oh, hang on, there was a policy that said, uh, you know, you're not allowed to take phone calls on on the warehouse floor. You have to sort of take it outside. And we're having a safety point. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so he, he quickly uh, hangs up the phone and goes outside and takes, and takes a call. He is subsequently fired for that. And... The case speaks a lot about that this was uh, the employee argued that the you know a lot of people were making the same mistake, you know, it's disproportionate treatment of him. And okay. the case spoke a lot about um, this was the line in the sand moment. Okay. This was uh, they acknowledged that other people were doing it and that there was a policy in place and it wasn't being implemented, but you know, at some point it it does need to become implemented if you want to put it on the straight and narrow and he just so happened to be the first person who sort of had no um, okay. ulterior motive to it. Go on. Uh, he won. I'm um, not surprised. He won. But uh, I suppose the interesting thing to, to talk about is uh, the commission spoke about the line in the sand is, is fine. But the way you go about it with yeah. that first person yeah. uh, is wasn't right, and yeah. they said, in a perfect world, what they would have or should have done was said, "We are going to suspend this person, or we're going to, you know, take yeah. disciplinary action. We're not going to let it slide, um, but nevertheless, don't um, suspend them, uh, don't fire them." And then from that point on, anyone after that person has it, been placed on notice. Yeah. Well, I agree. I, I absolutely agree with the commission on that point. I think if someone had come to me and said, hey, look, this person took a phone call on the, on the um, floor, we have a policy against that, but we've never enforced the policy. Mm. I would say, be careful. Be yeah. careful. Because it it turns to harshness, I think. That's exactly what. So they said that there was valid reason, which is true. You know, he shouldn't have taken the phone call on. Yeah, yeah um, there's and a policy he was. in place. Valid reason, yeah. And all the procedural elements were satisfied, so he was yeah. given a chance to respond, and that was considered in, um, the, before the decision was made. That was all fine, uh, but it was, it was purely harshness. It yeah. just, um, you know, why him and not another person? And this was all, um, there was no sort of ulterior motive to it. It wasn't like they didn't like him or, you know. Oh, okay. It was just, today was the day we were going to start enforcing the policy, and it was just yep. you. It, he's that guy. Yeah, look, I absolutely get it. I think 
uh, I think they could have done better. They could have yeah. they could have notified everybody that this is going to be a policy they're now going to enforce. Mm. And um, yeah, they they could have they could have given people more information. Yeah, absolutely. And this is really interesting. So so this this lends itself going back to the full circle of how useful your policies are. Yeah, well, they're only as useful as the way you implement them. Well, that, yeah. that's exactly right. I mean, you can have and say this over and over and over again. Mm. You can have the best policies in the world. In fact, there are, there's probably half a dozen cases this year where the commission says that. Yeah. But if you're not enforcing them, you're not applying them, you're not you're not reviewing them, they're worthless. And it's it's it kind of we see it a lot, which is uh, that's where the exposure generally lies because. You know, you can get all the external advice you want. Um, you know, lawyers can draft your policies. They can give you the, the initial advice about how to do it. But if you're not actually implementing it, it's what you do day to day. And mm. the next time there is an issue and then the next time after that, that's where generally the exposure is. It's 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 not in the documents themselves. No, it's not. And this, this just as a, as a segue on to something that, that I've been thinking about, it's this uh, sexual harassment legislation. Mm. It's getting passed at the moment. The concept, for those who don't really know me, I am not a fan of more laws just because. Yeah. I think we have laws. Most of them can be enforced in the ways of what we would expect them to be able to be enforced. I don't think bringing in a new law to specifically deal with something that already has a law that deals with it is, is, worth, some, is worth an awful lot. I'm, I, I'm just, I'm not into big, big law. I guess if, if I can put it into a box, but but the government seems to be, and on this point they absolutely are. They are changing the legislation to allow an individual to file a bullying claim for one incident of sexual harassment. Yeah. Now, I I don't first of all, I don't understand why it's in the bullying space. I don't yeah. don't understand that. Um, I know sexual harassment is a thing. I know it, it's upsetting. I know all of those things. But when we think about bullying, we think about something that happens more than once. Yeah. And, and hence the jurisdiction. I mean, hence the idea that, uh, you know, stop bullying. Order. The whole idea is to stop what is otherwise a continuing problem. Yeah. Um, wow. Because we, we already have ways of dealing with single incidents. Uh, oh. If you wanted to, if you wanted to lump sexual harassment into the space of bullying, one can absolutely do that. A form of bullying is, you know, sexual um, harassment. You can, mm. you can see how it might fit. But we have anti-discrimination laws. We have anti-sexual harassment yeah. laws. You don't need to create a new law to protect someone. And mm. the system is broadly the same. Broadly. Yeah, broadly. Something um, here. Well, when I saw it, the, the first thing that came to my mind was if you have a single incident of sexual harassment, why would you want to file a stop bullying or stop sexual harassment application, which would the only thing you can get from it is an order for it to stop. For if it was stop. only a single incident. Well, this is a, how do you how do you stop a single incident? How do, you get a, how do you get an order to have a single incident stop? 
or maybe we're missing something. Maybe there's something further they're going to give more powers. But what more powers would you give a commission on this point? I mean, I don't really know. And it kind of goes to, to some of the other aspects as well, which you know, we've seen that, um, you know, sexual harassment now is a... Um, a reason for serious misconduct but we've mm. that was already it's already um, there it's already that because it's a part of behavior and it's clearly serious yeah. misconduct and it was yeah, already and captured it's already captured in the work health and safety section of yeah. one of 1.07 of the regulations mm. 1.07 of the regulations people is where the definition of serious misconduct is and it says somewhere and i'm not being i'm not quoting it um that you know compromises the work health and safety of the employees or or something you know along I those lines. I think it's of yourself or others or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, so it's not here already. Why do? Yeah, Sometimes I don't know. It's I can see that it it um might be a little bit more prescriptive. Mm. Um, I can see some benefits um, and you know push our legal brains to the to the side and pretend we are lay people. And you know they see what's in front of them, and if there was no understanding that, even in 2021, that um, sexual harassment does have a risk to workplace health and safety, if you aren't able to put that link in yourself, then certainly I can see some benefit in having a more prescriptive, I suppose, reason, something yeah. you can point to. Okay, look, I understand, and I don't not like it. I just wonder. What about everything else? Yeah, where do, where do we stop? Do, yeah, we, do, where do we just we want stop? a full list? Which is, yeah, do we want an exhaustive list of all the things that are serious misconduct? I mean, where do we stop here? What's the next equivalent yeah. to Me Too that's going to be out there that we're now going to change legislation well, for? Well, I, I dare say we're actually about to go into it. I think the next Me Too movement which might affect employment is bullying and harassment. I think we're probably about we're probably already starting it. Um, yeah, you're right. The, the workout because they they just passed them. They they're looking mm. at yeah with this whole um, psychological mm. yeah. um, injury area. This is a fascinating area for those who who don't know. Um, so what Chris and I are talking about is the space where psychological injury in the workplace is a thing. In Australia, it is very hard to get a psychological injury over the line through the insurers, i.e. work cover or QSuper. Um, QSuper being the government insurer for um, government, Queensland government workers. So what, what they're doing is they're seeking to amend legislation just to make it easier for psychological damage to be put over, get over the line. But we're talking mm. about overwork. We're talking about this this bit of raft I don't necessarily think they're going down the wrong pathway. I just, I just wonder if there's a better way to do it. I mean, all things considered, I don't envy being a manager at this time. No, I was, I was actually thinking about this overwork for Zoe. Um, mm. As lawyers, as you know, our clients think we work twenty four seven. They do. Uh, it's, it's mm. something because what's on their mind wants them, they wanted to be on our minds too. That's, that's how it works. Um, probably at least a quarter, maybe a third of our clients complain about being overworked. And yes, they want us to overwork ourselves to solve their problems. Yes, the I irony involved is it. interesting. But it's a little it's a little bit of a I, I was just thinking about this because I have to think of you guys and my team. 
Mm. If I want you to work as much as my clients think you should be working, you will also have this problem of being stressed at work and (laughs) psychological injury and being underpaid and all that sort of stuff. It's just... um... As I said, I, I wouldn't envy being a manager at the moment because uh, I think what's being asked of managers almost now on a day-to-day level is quite a lot. Mm. Um, it, it's it's a really in-depth consideration of your own employees or people, you know, your subordinates. You and can't just get on with hard. your job. You it's actually really hard. Think, you have to think about everything else. Um I'm sorry, everyone. I've got only a small percentage of my battery left. <laughs> yes, it's a very unique way of finishing, given the, the circumstances. But, but, uh, but yes, I think, um, I think you're right. I think managers are going to have a really hard time because they're going to be thinking about all this other stuff as well as doing the work they have to do and, and, managing, and managing everyone and, and everything else that's going on. Tricky, 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 tricky. Tricky times ahead, I think. Next time I want to talk about uh, the jab. There's a whole bunch of new stuff going on at the moment about it. Yes. I want to. I want to have it's a, a look. Big elephant in the room. It is a big elephant in the room. Um, I'm going to be thinking about the jab this week. And if anybody's got any uh, thoughts on the jab with the global crisis, I'd be very happy to hear about it and send it through to us. And Chris, thanks very much for taking the time to uh, sit in your blank room. Yes, my my living room. Oh, my dining. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe I should have next time a sort of painting. It's sort of getting darker and darker where I am. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, I've got the kitchen lights on. But uh, all right, well, on that note. Yes, everyone. Thank you very much yeah, for right. listening and watching to the Lawcast. And thank you, Chris. We'll talk in two weeks' time. Right. See ya. See ya.